0: Welcome to Los Compas Lounge, a PSA for brown men. We are your hosts. I am Raul. This is Javier. And this is Ruben.
1: And this is Los Compas Lounge, a podcast by three Chicanos from East LA talking about issues that matter to you. We're here to inspire positive change.
0: So have a seat, compa. We have one ready for you here at the lounge. Okay, compas, this is Raul. Javi and Ruben have a day off, but I am here with a special guest, Carlos Aguilar. Woohoo!
1: Here we are.
0: That's right, Carlos, big brown dad. So I met Carlos maybe uh, late last year. 2020, and we just connected through social media, and uh, he's a really cool guy who's doing uh, lots of things. So, Carlos' brother, welcome to Los Compas Lounge. Tell us who you are, what's going on, brother.
1: Oh, she's uh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm joining you from the San Gabriel Valley, which is in Southern California, just uh, you know, um, outside of Los Angeles. Uh, I, I grew up here in the San Gabriel Valley uh, in La Puente. I actually, oh, grew up in La Puente. An... Okay, that's right. Yeah, I actually grew up in an unincorporated part of Los Angeles County called Bassett. Um, So I went to Bassett High School. My mom and dad went to Bassett High School. Um, And then, you know, after college, when I was in grad school, I taught uh, in Bassett and uh, still connected to my hometown, you know. So and I'm I'm really uh, proud of being from the San Gabriel Valley, which I recently learned. Uh, is the actual uh, origin of the universe. I don't know if you knew this, Raul.
0: Oh, well, wow. do enlighten me, my brother.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, uh, people, you know, uh, of course know the creation myth found in, in, in the Old Testament, in, in, in Genesis, but aren't all that familiar with the creation myths, uh, you know, alternate creation myths, and even ones that are like um, native to our area, where, where I live, San Gabriel Valley. So as you as you know, uh, the, the missions in California uh played an important uh, part in the development of the area, but that actually, and, and when students learn about California, often they start with the missions, which I guess has, or at least had some some logic to it. Um, but now, you know, people in the curriculum is paying more attention to the natives that were in the area, which is really dope. And so of course the missions, of course, enslaved the, the natives in the area and put them to work. And there's a lot of kind of a terrible history related to that in the area, San Gabriel Valley, but all of California were, you know, had native populations and uh several of them had a creation myth that c- dates back to what to who people call the serrano indians which is sure a misnomer because they didn't call serrano. themselves serrano yeah um but that a creation myth that was really interesting uh and it involved two twin brothers uh land god and sea god um and they created everything that you see you know the the animals uh the flowers uh the water the ocean, plants, fish. Um, and they were bored and they decided one day they were going to create man. Uh, but they couldn't decide on, you know, what shape to give them. So one day while Sea God was out, Land God decided that he was going to fashion man after his own liking. And when Sea God came back and saw what Land God had done, he was pissed. So he plunged his fist into the ocean, causing a huge wave to come over the land. Land God took man his price creation placed them on the top of the mountain, Mount Baldy, where he was safe. Um, and there you have the creation of the world here in the San Gabriel Valley as told through the natives. And you know, we're, we're, as a valley, we're in a flood zone. So the San Gabriel Valley is defined like topographically if you will, by the mountain range that we all know with the LA skyline. We see that mountain range with snow on it in some pictures. And then we see it without snow in other pictures. Those are the San Gabriel mountains. And they run east to west, um, which is rare here in Southern California for a mountain range to run that way. And uh, the San Gabriel Valley, where I grew up, of course, so that we have, you know, the mountain range on one side, then we have the Puente Hills and the Montebello Hills on the back side, that forms this flood basin, which is why floods were part of this creation myth here in the area, just as, as it was, you know, in some of the older Jewish creation myths. So all that to say, I'm from the San Gabriel Valley, LA. <laughs> you know happy. what?
0: I'm so, happy to that's say that. cool. No, that's really cool. i I, I'm, I totally dig the, the uh, the the rich history, right? Native history. Sometimes we forget that uh, before it was called California, it was called you know, home to to the native peoples there, and, uh, and and I appreciate that. So thank you. I I, I enjoy history. That's uh, part of my academic background as well. So uh, thank you for sharing that story. I was <laughs> or before I moved up here to the Central Valley, speaking of the Valley. I was living in that area as well. I was actually uh, in uh, Alhambra, which is uh, right there off of uh, Granada. And what's the little street there? Main, I guess. And and we were there for a while and it was cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the valley. And one thing I do miss is authentic Chinese food. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't and, get it anywhere
1: else. in Yeah, there's yeah. And right crazy. there
0: in Alhambra and, and, and some parts of the San Gabriel Valley um you have some really good chinese food so thank you for yeah. sharing huh?
1: you know yeah it's right and uh and f- one funny part about that is you know one one famed internationally famed dumpling house din tai feng is there in you know in san gabriel valley um really popular long lines and all this shit and you know if you really want the soup dumplings you'll you'll stand in that line oh, which we've done time and time again and of course when we peek oh actually you don't have to peek it's just a glass window that you can see into uh-huh. the kitchen and you can guess who's making the dumplings?
0: <laughs> Mexicanos or Latinos, right?
1: Yeah. So it's like world famous Chinese dumplings in <laughs> Made <world> by famous- <laughs> brown hands. <laughs> hey.
0: But you know what? Isn't that funny? That story in um at least here in the US in our in our experience is replicated everywhere, right? The working class. Right. Uh, has, a, a, a we have a Latino, whatever you want, however you identify Latino, Mexicanos, Latinx, uh, Chicano. The brown folks have a big hand in the actual work in producing right. the goods or the services to keep the nuts and bolts going of this economy, right? Here in the, right. here in the US. So and that's So I like cool. to tell the
1: story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, you know, people, uh, you've seen it in the movies, I've seen it in the movies is like, New York City in the in the background is like some some white dude in in a, in a business suit like my, my father built this city you know or whatever <laughs> like oh wow that's cool like uh, and uh, I like to tell the story of like actually my grandfather and my dad and my uncles actually built this city because they're iron workers so and you know iron workers uh have this thing where they'll like write their name on the steel on a steel beam on the inside, yeah, the never to be seen by anybody except other workers and shit. You know, like I built this shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not J.P. Morgan or not Chase. Not, <laughs> not, Yeah, that's a name that goes on the building, but like in the bones, whose names are on that building? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I always like to flip the script and
0: that's cool. say that. Hey, so man. your your family is uh, you know, you're what, like, second, third generation? That's um, right,
1: third generation. Yep.
0: And 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 your your family, where do they come from? What's what's their origin story, so to
1: speak? Sure. You know, it's uh, my paternal line from Arizona, Tucson, and um, my maternal line from Texas, Corpus Christi in Houston. And then I've done this like 23andMe DNA test. Have you had a chance okay. to do that?
0: No, I haven't. I've heard of it. Okay.
1: Yeah, no. So I, I, I did that, which was cool. I did that maybe three or four years ago, which helped uh, break out. Because, you know, at the time, I was able to do a matrilineal and a patrilineal test. So they give you your, you know, I'm going to sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I don't. But they give you your haplogroup, which is like your DNA ID number, if you will, that connects you to other populations around the world. So it breaks it out like so paternal, my paternal line, you know, it comes out as European, you know, predominantly European. So it's like I'm 50% European DNA, 35% native. And so it breaks it out like that, which helps kind of fill in some of the blanks. But just two weeks ago, I took another test through a, a company that caters to Latinos, which has more, you know, the way these tests work is like they take your DNA and they reference it against tests um, across the world. Um, in, in Mexico, not a lot of native populations have given access to companies to get their DNA. So like some of us are at a loss to see where, if at all, we have some kind of native connection to tribes in Mexico. So a company called Somos Ancestria, Somos and Ancestria um, allows you to upload your 23andMe test and then they'll give you the results that could that will show which DNA because they have agreements with 12 groups in Mexico native groups in Mexico and so I just recently did that and was able to determine like I'm connected to you know uh the Nahua Otami I guess that's a grouping and then like I have like some Zapotecan some Pima so it was kind of cool so like seeing like that kind of where my family came from is cool but you know um the train played a big role in bringing people out to Southern California, as you know, especially from Texas. Um, so, you know, as far as I can gather, it was like people moved to, my family moved out to Los Angeles for, for work opportunities, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, my grandfather,
0: like, like in the 1960s, perhaps, right? In yeah, there? that's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Um, my grandfather was in the Korean War. So, you know, one of these Mexican Americans in the Korean War, mm-hmm. uh, then got into a union, uh, the iron workers union was rare for Mexican Americans to be able to get access to these unions while paying union jobs. Mm-hmm. And you know how those union jobs work? You need to get sponsored. Sure. And you know who's going to sponsor you? You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you're lucky. Mm-hmm. So, but you know how it also works. I don't know if it's true for you, Rawl, but like um, once someone gets a good job in your family, like we bring them all into the trade. You know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> my grandfather, then yeah. fucking like everybody, six his generation. And then <laughs> my dad, like six from that generation and then, like, my cousin, I have a cousin, my brother was an iron worker for a little while. Like like if you get in there, you know what I'm saying? You seize that opportunity and try to pass it along, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so you're you're gonna bring up your family through the 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 coffee business, right? Oh well we'll see. We'll see <laughs> about gonna... that. Nah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll see. I don't yeah, know. That's cool. That was, uh, well, I, I appreciate that. Thanks for, for for sharing. Um you're talking about your 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 family, your roots and whatnot. What do you think sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we as brown people, right? We kind of trip up a little bit about identity or identity crisis, right? Oh, you're this guy's this guy, or this girl's not too brown. So that's so, so, you know, they're not Latinos or they're not brown enough, you know, or they don't speak Spanish. You know, what do you think about all that craziness?
1: I mean, on the one hand, I understand the behavior. I mean, we're all trying to figure out who's part of our team, because, you know, if you've, feel as if um you're jeopardized or you're threatened or things are against you you're gonna you're gonna want to know who's on your side and who's not and sometimes identity terms are a quick way for us to say yo I rock with you because I identify similarly and I don't have to but I do so you know we're together on this so I, I so I understand wanting to find people who are with you and I understand how identity terms can be a shortcut to that um, so then I understand why people will want to police those identity terms like, okay, we're calling ourselves Chicano. So if you want to call yourself Chicano, then you better do this, that and the other. So this policing happens. I understand that behavior. I don't agree with it. I don't think it makes uh, it makes sense. insofar so far, it happens a lot, but I don't think that's the best, best way forward. Insofar as we're using identity terms to to be the ultimate arbiter of whether or not you have allegiance with somebody. So call yourself what you want. I'm okay with that. I just want to know, are we together on this project? Are we together on this? Do do we share a moral vision? Do we want the same kind of things Mm -hmm. for our world? And if that's true, that's more important than what we call ourselves. And if you agree with me, then let's stop policing terms and let's get to the business of whatever we have shared values around, you know?
0: Well, that's really well put. Um, So Speaking of um, identity, you know, I'm sure like most of of us, you know, you have strong family values, influences that shaped who you are today. Can you talk about that a little bit? If there's one person or group of people or an experience that uh, created who you are today, when you look in the mirror, you're like, mom, dad, this is who I see, you know?
1: no, that's great. Um, It's a great question. Um, For me, it's my grandmother
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because I actually did grow up with her um, during my teen years and she got her bachelor's degree as a 45, 50 year old woman and then um, went on to run for the school board in my neighborhood. So when I was in, I was a high school student when she ran for the school board and won. And so what that taught me though was interesting Um, people like to dismiss the notion of entitlement, which is to say like, this person's entitled, like get them out of here. Like why upper you walk around with a sense of entitlement. Like that's a bad thing. And I can see in cases where that might be a bad thing, but for for us, like when it comes to education and the change that I saw in the attitude teachers and administrators had towards me was funny as fuck. You know, it was like, oh, you have to treat me with a newfound respect like oh that's interesting like you're
0: untouchable all of a sudden
1: yeah and all of a sudden like okay so now like if Shit. something was wrong and i said something about it like legitimately you might have to listen to me or like i can walk and talk to the principal but and call him by his first name like so did you walk all like picudo? Not, what's up No, not like not, not, i still got in trouble but um but it was like the t te- oh how about this like the power it was a power shift and I think was really instructive which is like what well, who who should really have the power here like all of us are you five white cats you know what I'm saying are like who's there's more of us in like why are we walking around like all like we're at, we're in jail and like
0: yeah, yeah you know
1: under constant supervision and like nah so um so my grandmother was always quick to uh, speak to the person in charge. And remedy a situation
0: do so mess I, with I, grandma I, you know oh well, she you know
1: she um again i told you like i had i was i was misbehaving as a for most of my junior high and high school academic career sure. so she had to go to school she threatened to come to school with me sit in class every period and she did and so it was like one of the most hilarious days of my junior high career as you can imagine where the class clown has his <laughs> grandmother going to every period with him.
0: I can see it, man.
1: And my friends are just like, oh my God, bro. Like you are in trouble. You are fucking. Bad.
0: She had her, did she have her on the side <laughs> right there, ready <laughs> to go? Me? Huh? <laughs> oh was, man, um, what an yeah. interesting story, but that's awesome because the source of, uh, inspiration for you was a strong woman who right. didn't take shit, essentially. Right. And she knew the power structures and dynamics. And she knew how to navigate that. That's, freaking That's right. awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. So now that uh, you know, you fast forward, right, you know, grandma instilled this, this sense of who you are today. And as a family man, you're, you know, big brown dad or big brown father. Uh, what's that like, you know, for you now as uh, uh, with your own family?
1: Yeah, so like, uh, I don't if I as a teacher, that mode is my mode as a so teacher I, mode like that yeah exactly that mode is how i teach that mode it nurtured as a teacher but then applied in my media work but also implied applied in my role as a dad you know what i'm saying so it's like what is our primary function is to instruct as a parent mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so
0: how, how many kids do you have and if you don't mind me asking. two Okay. Yep, I have an
1: 11 year old and an eight year old. And um, I started Big Brown Dad because of the blog, because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I have a lot of opinions. Uh, I think a lot I have, a. I think a lot of uh, wrong ideas are out there. And I like making fun of wrong ideas. So I try to bring mm-hmm. a little humor mm-hmm. uh, to the parenting experience and process. And then also celebrate this notion of brown fatherhood uh, publicly, you know, Uh, so, so,
0: okay. So big Brown dad, tell us a little bit about like one day you just woke up and said, okay, I do have all these great thoughts and opinions. I'm going to put them on paper. Like, how did you come up with the idea of big Brown dad and what is big Brown dad?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I got, um, you know, back to my grandmother, one, the, the value of identifying the source of power. And dealing with that source carried on and I applied it in my writing in college when uh, I I used to get a kick out of writing editorials or writing letters to the editor and then in college writing for the newspaper. um, And then uh, Becoming a writing. I started a magazine in college. I was interested in music. Um, so I was like, is there a way that I can go to concerts for free and interact with cool people? Uh, sure. Like write about it. And which, which is what I did started a hip hop magazine in college. And then uh, another thing I'm very interested in is food and eating for free, if that's possible. So the other thing I did was, uh, wrote the food review column for my newspaper, which gave Mm me the license to call myself a writer. Um, What do you mean you're a writer? Well, shit, look at my articles. I'm a writer, bro. Like, I don't know if if they told you, but I'm a writer. Uh, I then uh, decided to go to grad school and get a master's degree. I went to seminary. So I have a master's degree in the philosophy of religion and ethics from a seminary because I thought I was going to go get a PhD in philosophy and teach philosophy at the university level. That was my career trajectory. Even though I enjoyed writing and (laughs) comedy, um, I was going to go teach then I applied for my, because I had this notion and all the while I was also a hip hop artist by the name bookworm Brown. Mm -hmm. So my whole angle was I'm rapping, but the stuff I'm kicking is a little more elevated knowledge type shit. You know what I'm saying? Bookworm Brown, I'm a rapper, so whatever. Um, So I decided to apply after grad school. I backpacked through Mexico for six months trying Mm -hmm. to learn Spanish because I didn't grow up speaking it. I didn't learn Spanish, but Uh, when I got back, it was time for me to launch my career. Like, what what am I going to do? I just finished grad school. And I saw a posting for a um, television writing job Hmm. for a new Latino network targeting Latino youth. Telemundo had just launched a channel called Mundos, M-U-N-2, right around 2002, 2003. And they were hiring their staff for the West Coast. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to... This sounds cool like yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. i'm a writer <laughs> i wrote i wrote fucking food, food review columns and these little rap <laughs> articles or whatever I was like no way i'm gonna get the job mm-hmm. well who knows right like what's funny is um i'll tell you the story this actually applies sure. to this applies to yeah, some of the work that you do around networking finding job opportunities navigating your future your career and um once i got back from mexico i did this backpacking thing i'm all hyped i'm i street performed all across mexico um doing raps in english that nobody cared about and when i got back i was like uh all right let's keep this going um there was a rap mtv put on a rap battle okay. they're like hey fifty thousand dollars and jay-z is gonna sign you if you win come to new york on this day and yeah. battle and i'm like oh shit like i could win this like i was in mexico for six months rapping on the street like but i but i uh, didn't have a job and i spent all my money in mexico so i was like." Let me take out an ad to see if somebody will sponsor me. So I took out an ad in a publication called Latino LA, Mexican American battle rapper seeks sponsor for flight to New York. Right. Boom. Nobody fucking sponsored me for anything, but a television producer read it. The classified ad reached out to me and was like, Hey bro, this is interesting. I want to do a story on you. We'll do a story on you in LA. And then when you go to New York, we're going to do a story on you and out there and we're going to put this package together and it's going to air on this cable channel. I'm like, sounds cool to me, bro. So we did that a month later. I see the ad television writer wanted for a Latino network and who's fucking doing the hiring, the producer who had just interviewed me a month previous.
0: Fucking so eight. he was
1: familiar with who I was and what I was about or whatever. So I got hired to do my first writing job, bro.
0: And like, and that's oh, the power yeah. of networking right there. You know, don't right. burn your bridges. You never know who's going to give you the next leg up, right? That's freaking awesome.
1: Okay, so that job lasted for a year and a half. It was the best thing. It was like 15 Latinos in a big building on, on Wilshire producing TV in a building owned by a white production company with a bunch of employees, right? But we had this little series of offices, all Latinos, most of us working in TV for the first time but around all these white folks in their mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. and you know us bro like loud music drinking in the office smoking <laughs> no. <in> the
0: office,
1: <laughs> bro like like terrible behavior yeah. okay so that oh, that that my job there came to a close uh after about a year and a half and uh i was out of work in television i was like oh shit i'm gonna have to go back to teaching or damn that was a great opportunity who's gonna give me a chance again bro like you know, I have I have some credits. We did 180 episodes. I was involved with all of that. Like, I'm definitely employable. But like, motherfuckers aren't trying to hire me. Like,
0: yeah. what did George Lopez say? <laughs> like, like, like you get a job, but don't fuck it up like the last time.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs>
1: so, uh, um so what happened is I see on Craigslist a post for a writing job for a documentary, a Bible documentary. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm like, well, hey, I just got a master's degree in philosophy, religion, and ethics. I know the Bible really well. Um, and I've written for TV. Let me just apply to this Craigslist, shitty ass Craigslist post. Who knows what it's gonna what's going to happen? Sure enough, I apply They hit me back. They're like, yo, you have a master's degree. You seem qualified. Like, Come in for an interview. Here's the address. I look at it. What's the address? My old building, that white big production company ah. where we work for Mundos. I'm like, what? That's the same building? Oh, it's this associated television was the company who owned the building Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this job was with associated television i show up for an interview in my old office to be interviewed by this white guy who had seen running the hallways three Mm -hmm. minutes into the interview he's like wait a minute you look familiar did you work here with with it i'm like uh yeah but that wasn't me selling the weed in the bathroom that was uh someone that looked like me um he's like no i like you i remember you Da 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 like here i'm gonna give you a chance like (laughs)
0: fucking go
1: write these i brought my little shitty sample scripts and he was like cute go home and write some other ones send it to me and we'll see what happens i did that i got the job and i worked at that company for 10 years bro wow traveling all over the country producing cool content meeting cool people building my experience meeting and just fucking growing as a writer and producer Mm -hmm. Um, so and then for the last five years I've been at an ad agency where I got the job through another funny little thing that we don't think works, but actually somehow in a weird way does. Someone invited me to speak on a career panel. I showed up, saw my old college uh, homie who had started a company. I was like, oh yeah, ad- advertising agency. I was like, oh yeah, I actually been keeping tabs on you. Like you're doing dope, dope stuff. He's like, oh yeah, well, let's stay connected. Sure enough, we did. and mm-hmm. a, few, a year later, he reached out to me because he had a project going on and I've been at that company for five years now. So. um there you just got to put yourself out there right and um be open to connection mm-hmm. and be open to exploring opportunity um uh, maybe say yes to more things until you get so busy where you're in the position where you have to start saying no to things but i suspect many of us aren't exactly there yet we're, most of us aren't maxed out just yet right
0: yeah yeah you know we're we're essentially like being busy is a good thing and getting paid is a good thing too. You know? So <laughs> making right, yeah. making a living is a good thing. So, so I hear you. Um, okay. So, so big brown dad, uh, uh you, 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 you talked about it a bit, but what's the mission of big brown dad? Sure. And how do we find you?
1: So big brown dad is a website, bigbrowndad.com. And, um, you know, the mission is to document, um, with a with a bit of humor, the experience of raising a family as a mexican american dad in los angeles so you'll uh see a bunch of stuff on there one one part of the project that we're really proud of as a family is the work we uh do around collecting socks and blankets for the homeless mm. so if you go to the bigbrowndad.com and you click on the cozy collection you'll see the story of my daughter who when she was six had the idea to start collecting socks and blankets for the homeless mm. um, mm-hmm. and so that uh ballooned into a family service project Mm -hmm. um where over the last five years you know we've helped to collect 40,000 pairs of socks 5,000 blankets so like that first year it was like 1,100 pairs of socks the next year 3,500 pair Mm -hmm. the year after that 8,000 pairs of socks the year after that 13,000 pairs of socks um this last year during COVID we weren't able to um run our campaign sure, sure um but we hopefully will be back doing that in the fall of this year if you know conditions permit but it was a great it's a great learning project and a service project that we have as a family so really proud of the work we do there too you know
0: you know that's really cool because in so many levels as brown fathers right you know sometimes we have this bad rap of uh absentee fathers or alcoholics or de- deadbeat dads and stuff like that. So it's really awesome that, you know, Los Compas Lounge, um, you know, is, is talking to like minded folks, you know, who really understand the Brown experience. And, you know, first and foremost, you are a father and you're teaching your daughter, you're teaching your kids uh, you know, indirectly the value of service, right, volunteerism, giving back. To, you know, these, these great skills and opportunities and experiences that she's going to take with her for the, the rest of her life, man, that's really awesome. Uh, if you had a magic wand, like, what would you hope your kids would become? Mm. You know, like, and not and I'm not, and I'm not talking about like, oh, you know, they're gonna reach success, because they're gonna be millionaires, but really, as a person as a brown, young person in there as an adult,
1: I, I, were you the first in your uh, family to go to college
0: role? Yes. Well, not the my brother was, but the first, yeah, the, our generation. First generation. Yeah, 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 yeah. My brother, my do sister, you, and I.
1: Do you remember getting to campus? I wonder if you had the same experience that I did, like getting to campus that first day and seeing other Latinos on campus who had come from backgrounds where their parents were educated? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, did you come across those yeah. Latinos like, oh shit, like, oh yeah, her dad's a lawyer. It was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Were, were those... Um, that was immediate, like that shit was immediate to me. Like not only like with the white, the disparity between my experience Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: the white students experience, well, first I spent a year at Brandeis. If you know what Brandeis, anything about Brandeis, you'll know that it's predominantly Jewish, Mm -hmm. it's Mm non-sectarian, it's in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Um, and like students have a lot of wealth and it's predominantly, uh, it's non-sectarian Jewish institution, predominantly white. And I was one of four Mexicans on campus Mm -hmm. or whatever. So there was that whole thing where it was like, "Oh shit!" Like this is different. Then I came back to school on the West Coast at Occidental, more Latinos. Uh, And then you, you know, you meet the first generation. I'm first generation, but you meet the Chicanas who grew up in households where their dads were lawyers or part part of the movement or whatever, right? And they're like, they're refined, bro, like me. I was like, yo, I I, like held these people in esteem a little bit because I knew that. That's what I wanted for my kids to be able to show up on mm-hmm. campus with not with this disparity, bro. Like I was on the other end of this like experience spectrum. You know, I felt like I had to catch up, make a lot of ground just to get up to not. Never mind the white kid. You know what I'm saying? But just to get up to like where like these educated Chicano households, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Are, are you talking about Well, Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I hate to admit this kind of stuff but when, when, you know, shit, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. You're like. You look at, uh, at least in my experience, going to college, and then you know you come across three, four generations you know, articulate Latinos, and I'm like, "Fucking coconuts, man! <laughs> Fuck those guys! You know, uh, right, I right, came, right, right. I was born and raised in East LA, and I'm right. fucking right, right. have every right to be here like these motherfuckers. Right, you know, right, and that right. wasn't productive, right?
1: Right. No, well, that that is the danger, you know. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that's that is a um, what is that? I don't even know if it's a concern because, you know, there will be those voices,
0: sure. you know, yeah.
1: I'd like my kids to to grow up and be those students and they run the risk of getting that kind of commentary. Yeah, I know. But I'm not even tripping off that cuz yeah, exactly. they're going to they're going to be who they are, which I hope is open-minded, a lot of experience, thoughtful, careful, compassionate, contributing members of society with with interests and passions that will keep them occupied throughout their life. Like me, I only have one or two hobbies, bro. Like, fuck, I wish I had 10. Mm -hmm. Like I'd be outside gardening right now. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. building a fucking whittling some piece of wood or something if I had more experience as a Mm -hmm. kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just want to give my kids more experiences, set them up to have hobbies and interests community
0: yeah i I really like your your uh conceptual conceptualization of experience and open-mindedness i'm similar in that regard where you know my wife and i we talk about giving our kids options or they understand this idea of options that there's just not one narrow path to lead a successful life and when we talk about successful life we're talking about cultured nurtured a good person centered, you know, values and, and morals, right? And, and I hear you in, in 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 the passion that you have as a brown dad that you want to give your kids that so they, they have that foundation, where they get to the university, and they're not going to trip on brown on brown hate, you know, they're not going to trip on uh, feeling like they don't fit in like they don't belong in higher ed, right? Uh, because they do, you know, they've been, they've been prepping all their lives and they've been kicking ass in school and, and here (laughs) they are, and they just happen to look Brown and happen to have a Spanish name, you know, and and it is what it is. And that's, that's really cool because that's what I want for my kids. I want my kids to be academically prepared at, at the level where they need to be. You know, I remember growing up in, um, East LA and, and, and shit, I goofed off so much, you know, junior high and high school was a big party was a big goof off. And I was not academically prepared, you know, took me a long time to catch up. So when I was at the university, I was struggling as hell. But as soon as I finished, I was on this new trip because I had, I had a newfound hunger for academics and for Mm -hmm. academia. So I just went balls out into that world, right. But it kind of sucks, man. The experience was great. Don't get me wrong. But it sucks that you you land or you arrive in this new environment or this space where you sit, and you're like, everybody's running academically strong, and they're, they're doing their thing. And you're like, shit, I don't even have my shoes on. Let me put them <laughs> on, you know, and and that's kind of um I valued that experience, but I want my kids to come in with their shoes on. Absolutely. You know, some good shoes, you know. I'm not no none of this uh, you know, five dollar shoes, you know, whatever it is. I want them to have an, uh, an idea. It's like we come here to run, we come here to succeed, we come here to battle, we come here to get get shit done at school, to get the great right. the good grades and then and, and, and get a degree and then you know, launch my career, right? How old so are your kids? My kids are four and and uh, seven, so three years apart. Yeah, four and seven. And that was really one of the big reasons why we ended up leaving Los Angeles area. You know, we were, we were there. I, I uh, was there for a while, you know, born and raised there. But my wife's originally from this area, the San Joaquin Valley. And, you know, it took me a while to think about it, you know, urban, lifestyle in Los Angeles, as you know, right? You know, ultra metropolitan urban lifestyle. And it's totally cool. But then I came over here, and, you know, I'm like, shit, affordability, bigger homes, you know, relax. You know, I get to do, do something different. You know, I could think about consulting. You know, my wife's doing her thing. My wife has a big family. I'm like, there's so many pluses it took me a while, but I said like, okay, shit, we're moving then. <laughs> so here we are, man, you know, we've been here for two years and, and, um, and I'm not, I'm not looking back. I love LA. I love Southern California. Um, and, and those are roots, you know, so to speak. Uh, but I also, I'm building roots here for my kids, right? For my kids.
1: How much of who you were in college and are today was shaped before you were 10 years old?
0: Uh, That's an interesting question. Um, I think, as a kid, I realized that I enjoyed talking to people, interacting with people, you know, kind of a leadership role. I enjoyed knowing that we are social beings. And I like friendships and building relationships. I kind of knew that early on. And I I I've na- navigated through that, or through those concepts, you know, throughout my college years. But I freaking hated school, man. I hated junior high. Alum. I hated school. It sucked. I didn't want to wake <laughs> up, you know. And, you know, here's this chicanito trying to read in elementary. And I speak Spanish at home predominantly, right? With mom and dad and grandma and everybody else. And then here I am, and I'm struggling. And then all your friends and other kids are looking at you. Some of them are struggling like me. Mm, But I'm like, it it shot down my academic self esteem, you know, it Mm. really shot me down that those experiences of not being bright enough or prepared enough as a little kid. that that's that, that was a struggle. And, and a lot of us were that, We, you know, a lot of sure, uh, you know, born and raised there in East LA, um, where our parents were well, do you, immigrants.
1: Do you think, um, you are still reacting to that?
0: Yeah, experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, um, you know, part of me and my wife too, she's first generation, just like myself. Um, we want to give our kids like we, we, we talked earlier, we want to make sure our kids do not struggle early on the way we struggled, right. you know, to, right, we, we, there's two different languages, two different cultures, right? Because East LA in the eight growing up in the 80s, we, in our minds, excuse me, it, it was a vacuum, right? It was like, this is all we knew, we didn't venture out all of the grocery stores, right. liquor stores, recreations, parks and everything was in East LA, right? So that was our experience and everything was there for us. Everything was in Spanish, English, bilingual, whatever. And those were our experiences. And guess what? Your friends, your neighbors were the same, just like you. You know, every now and then you sprinkle in a white person here or there. Or somebody who's an you know Asian American or Asian, you know, here and there. But for the most part, you are in this little bubble. And then when you go to the four year university, right, at least for me, you know, that bubble's popped. I'm like, shit, what am I doing? Here? <laughs> right? You're Like, what the you're like and by the same time it gives you strength. You're like, okay, I could do it.
1: You're like, wait a minute, I have six options for
0: cereal? <laughs> and I can go back for thirds. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 you're like, like, okay, who's okay? But you're, you know what's funny? My wife and I and my, my other compas, we always joke about this Chicano mode. Like you're waiting for the freaking rug to be pulled under so you can fall oh, flat on your face. Like like you said. Okay, we have six options for cereals. I'm like, okay, hit me in the head and just and just say, "Oops, not for you, Raul. You only got one option, and it's confeites." <laughs> it's not serial, motherfucker. I'm like, oh, shit. So, you know, it's funny, even as a, an adult in my mid to late 40s now, you know, we we tend to still operate in panic, not panic mode, in Chicano mode. Like, what's the worst case scenario that's going to happen? And I hate sure. that shit. I don't want my kids to grow up like, like they're having a good time and they're moving towards meeting these great goals or achievements in life. I don't want them to be like, okay, Who's gonna knock me down? But anyway, let's shift gears a little bit, man. We're enjoying some great coffee, brother, right? You know, I know. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. <laughs> We're enjoying some great coffee. Um, so from selling weed to selling coffee, <laughs> and I'm totally joking about that story. But you know what? Um, when we when we first met and and, and, and as we got to get to know each other, um you know, you, you started promoting Mestizo coffee, man. Talk to me about your inspiration for Mestizo coffee.
1: Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I grew up, not a grub up drinking coffee, but I started drinking coffee in, in high school occasionally, um, until I had, and you know, probably 14, 15 years. And then I had a conversion experience hmm. much in the same way. People talk about a religious conversion experience. <laughs> I had a coffee conversion experience. I had a buddy who was on social media who was talking about, um, participating in these coffee competitions. And uh, I was like, coffee competition? What the hell is that, bro? And he was like, yeah, man, we do this and do that. And I lost, but it was fun. And I was like, all right, well, come by our office and make some of this competition coffee, bro. Cause we all drink coffee here. I'm curious to know what this shit is you're talking about. And sure enough, he came through and when he got there, he actually, uh, my buddy's name was Joe Pack. He's a philosophy professor. And uh, so he's already a thoughtful kind of character. And a Korean American uh, cat who uh, I went to undergrad with and who also went on to seminary. Um, So his approach, I knew was going to be thoughtful in some way. Anyways, when he got there, he pulled out a scale. He had his own kettle. He had a grounding, uh, a grinder. He had several bags of beans. He had specialty water because he wasn't going to use our sink water. He had this weird ass contraption. I was like, what is that? It was an AeroPress, which is a a brew method. Um, And I was like, what is this, bro? And then he did his whole rigmarole and then i tasted the coffee i was like blueberry and he was like yeah bro this african coffee da, 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 da. and i was like oh my god bro like this piss that i've been drinking at mcdonald's and 7-eleven and at home and starbucks like this is different bro tell me the story and like you know uh he, and he did and he was like Yo, hey america is third wave coffee right now america has gone through three waves of coffee coffee at home sanka Folgers Americans are drinking it at a home. Wave two, Starbucks, Pete's. People, Americans are starting to buy coffee and pay more outside of the home. Wave three, third wave coffee is like the blue bottles, the compalings. There's different, like, these specialty coffee shops that you'll find across the country. And the difference there is where you might pay a dollar for Starbucks coffee for a cup, rather, you'll pay $2. You might pay a dollar at 7 Eleven or McDonald's. These, cups of coffee you'll end up paying five or six dollars a cup if you drink it there the reason being is it's specialty it's grown in a special way it's roasted in a special way and it's brewed in a special way and people started treating coffee in the way that wine aficionados and enthusiasts Mm -hmm. had been treating wine they want to know where it was grown the elevation the type of bean, the name of the farmer fucking who brought it over when was it roasted uh who designed your coffee bag, uh, like just the whole shit, you know what I'm saying? So, And that is a a great vehicle. So I had this conversion experience. And then, you know, this extra element of it's actually a really, you know, and I won't get too deep into this, but there's really a philosophical kind of poetic component to coffee, which is how can there be something that I've been familiar with for so long, all of my life, Mm -hmm. and then to be reintroduced to it is like, uh, has a lot of applications in a lot of fields, you know, like, the religious application of course is that you think you've been dealing with God through religion and then you encounter God, you know what I'm saying? Like you've been dealing, you know, it's, it's an idea as old as Plato in the cave, you know? And probably before that, the allegory of the cave where some people are participating in the shadow of a thing. And when you break out of the cave and you say, no, that's the shadow of a tree. This is a real tree, you leave the cave, you come back, you tell everybody, hey, we're calling this thing tree mm-hmm. that's a shadow bro the real trees out there and they're like kill them which is what they did right mm-hmm. um so anyways coffee that's the same thing it's like hey i know we've been drinking this shit. we've been calling coffee for like a long time but if you're like me you discover this thing that's actually coffee so that's why i sell mestizo coffee <laughs> Mestizo dot coffee. so it's really just a mission to uh introduce something old in a new way mm-hmm and to elevate because a lot of us will spend money on top shelf alcohol maybe even top shelf thc Mm -hmm. but we'll drink the shittiest coffee that's in the store and so Mm -hmm. i'm saying hey everybody especially mexican americans let's level up our coffee like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we deserve it and so that's kind of what i'm doing with mestizo
0: so so why why mestizo
1: Mestizo is a interesting term um as you know it, it has like a history. Uh, with the Spanish in Mexico, as well as in the Philippines, which I came to learn more fully, is that there's in the same way that some of us identify as pochos, as a term, uh, as Mexican-Americans, Filipinos who are mixed race um, use mestizo in the Philippines. So Mm -hmm. there are folks who identify as mestizo. Um, In the US and in the Southwest of Mexico, mestizo was used to signify that somebody had both indigenous and spanish background or whatever mm-hmm. um and the term itself is debated and used whether it's like always pejorative or not or can you reclaim it or is it always negative negative? and so i think this is also part of kind of what i've been trying to do in my career is this redefine expectation redefine meaning and saying like hey we get to shape what words mean mm-hmm. if we take control of them in certain cases so um this word represents my experience and the experience of a lot of people. And it's actually beyond, and it's, it's also, you'll see in some of the materials that I use to promote the content. It's not just a Mexican-American thing, This Asian-American, like this whole mix of culture is interesting to me, defies category, easy categorization and defies, sim- and defies expectations. Like what are you gonna get from somebody who you don't, who you can't easily pinpoint you know Mm -hmm. so i think it's interesting for those reasons
0: okay that's awesome i i I like that you you actually do have some great thought behind your product you know And, and i'm sure it's delicious and i need to get myself one of them good looking bags so talk to me a little bit about your experience with mestizo in terms of launching a business right and i want you to think about it in terms of maybe your top lessons learned, and what you can share with our listeners in terms of skills, knowledge, skills or abilities, should they want to go down a path of launching a business or putting some business skills into practice?
1: Sure. One thing you know, I do some freelance work and um, in the social media writing producing space alongside alongside my nine to five and a lot of that work is service-based which is like I need to be there to do the thing to make the money Mm -hmm. um which is great and I love it Uh, but I also wanted to do something I wanted to have a project that was product-based that was widget-based you know like Mm -hmm. a thing that can sell when I'm asleep um and so I knew I wanted to do that and I've played around with selling shirts and stuff like that And that was cool, but uh, what was interesting about coffee was that A, I had a passion for it. B, it's the type of product, seldom, rare product that people invite into their home and will interact with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Like the coffee bag, like I touch my coffee bag every morning or whatever, you know, or when I make my coffee, it's it's a daily thing. And I took that as an invitation to be part of people's daily routine. So it was a product that I knew that people cared about, that people interacted with daily. And it also gave me an opportunity to, what, which is what I do, just kind of as part of my career trajectory, just to make media. So I was like, all right, I have my Big Brown Dad uh, blog. And I knew that I was gonna have a hard time. And there's a bunch of stuff, I, a bunch of media that I still wanna create mm-hmm. outside of the work that I do for others. And I knew I was gonna have a hard time Convincing people to, let's say, support a Patreon and give me $10 a month when the New York Times was producing fucking phenomenal content and was having a hard time getting their people to pay $10 a month. So I knew I was going to have, if I wanted to fund some of these media ambitions, um, I knew I was going to have a hard time with a direct appeal for money. So I said, okay, well, if I had a product that people really liked, a brand that people got behind, and it was a product that people could buy on a recurring basis. Maybe this was the type of business that would allow for me to take some of those that recurring revenue and do some of this con- these content projects that I have in mind. So for me, my ambition when I started three months ago was, well, I started planning a year ago, uh, but the product has launched been in the market for three months was to create something that would f- allow me to fund my other creative ambitions. Mm -hmm. So I'll sometimes say Mestizo is a Mexican-American media lab masquerading Mm -hmm. as a coffee company. Mm -hmm. So uh, now on the front side, it's like, what I found is that people, and this is a shift that's been happening in the marketplace for the last 20 years, as we know, is that consumers want the brands that they support to represent the values that they hold. Mm -hmm. And they want them to be more explicit about that. And then, you know, as we become more savvy, Latinos become more savvy consumers, we're starting to expect more from the brands that, that we fuck with too. Mm-hmm. And there's just this entire sentiment, at least online, are, are mostly visible online around supporting our own. Like, hey, there's this cool thing. Let's get behind it and support it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm finding with coffee, specialty coffee, that there aren't a lot of brands who are saying, hey, this is for us. This is, this is us. This is by us. This is for us enjoy it, you know, and people are attracted to that message. I found people that, you know, I've taken a very, because of my religious training, um, I've taken a very evangelistic approach mm-hmm. to, um, evangelizing my product and, you know, marketers use the term evangelism, you know, sure. uh, and what I've done is, you know, just going hand to hand, door to door. And this, if I was like a fucking Jehovah's witness or whatever, like, mm-hmm. Hey, I sell coffee, like, we're friends, do you want to buy some? And so either yes, no, or later, you know, whatever it turns out to be. And so growing my business over these last three months has been very uh, methodical, like concentric circle, like, okay, these are the people that I know. These are the people that I kind of know. And now at month three, going into month four, I ran my first ad last week. Now I'm trying to attract people that I don't know. Sure. And that's going to be the real test around my messaging and stuff. You know, people that know me kind of know what kind of guy I am. So they're going to be like, yeah, this all makes sense. Like, fuck it. Let's I support you. People who don't know me are going to have to come to the page and get a sense. And that's going to be a different type of test. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this is great. Um, ho- hopefully this is a great opportunity to tell your story, right? Because as you know, many brands have a story behind who they are and why they're here. And most importantly, why you should buy from me, right? If I'm Mestizo the brand. So um, if we wanted to learn more about Mestizo the brand, the story behind Mestizo, uh, as you 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 kind of jumped into a little bit, where can people go to learn more about your brand?
1: Yeah, they can go to mestizo.coffee, which is the website. And um, I've, done, I've started to do a couple of things around the media and the coffee. I have a series that I do called Stand Up Morning Routine, okay. where I interview comedians about their morning routine, mm-hmm. you know, really important stuff like pan dulce versus donuts and um, mm-hmm. how long have you been a slave to coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've also started interviewing PhDs mm-hmm. um, and talking to them about their areas of research that kind of overlap with brown identity. Mm-hmm. So, um, really cool interviews around boxing and the Mexican-American experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we have cool interviews lined up around uh, the Mexican-American experience with music and religion, politics, and intellectual history. A lot of fun stuff there. Um, I basically run like a, a virtual coffee shop. Sure. So when you get your bag, you'll uh, scan the QR code mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. on the bag. And that's going to take you to an unlisted oh. private website that you can't find unless you scan it. And there, you're going to have entry into my digital cafe, which is going to be a bunch of curated content, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. including some of these videos and interviews mm-hmm, alongside okay. other stuff. So um, that's kind of how you kind of get deeper into the community. Mm-hmm. People yeah. have been buying the coffee from all over the country, you know, Chicago, New York, Georgia, Texas. So it's, it's moving.
0: Man, that, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And it's, it's only three months in, it seems like it's a little longer. Well, because perhaps because we're connected through social media and I see your ads and I I always try to be supportive. I think that's one thing I want to share with our listeners is, you know, uh, support Brown, made by Brown by Brown. And and when you you see something you like, like Mestizo Coffee or Los Compas Lounge, you know, give us a thumbs up or share our content. I think that's really um, supportive that we're 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 all in it together and and we're figuring out who we are as people and and when it comes down to it we're really just like you right we're just a couple of brown guys who are out there trying to do some good stuff and and and, you know we find um in carlos's case you know he found a product that he's really interested in and he, he he's behind it and he's trying to uh you know, there's meaning behind mestizo coffee. It's not just oh, look at my little coffee. You know, right, please drink it. You know, there's a whole story behind that. So we really appreciate that. So Carlos, anything else by way of tips or words of encouragement for other big brown dads, um, or anything that you want to share or leave us with?
1: Um, well, you know, the one thing I think that I was, I think the way we got connected was I saw that you guys had a podcast you were using the language around brown did you was it like was it the brown, brown. is it brown composters?
0: yeah lo, right lo, no what well, the subtitle yeah. is it's, it's los compas lounge um you know the the subtitle but i can't even think of the subtitle i'm having enough brain fart here it's a, <laughs> um you know a podcast for brown man essentially it's a podcast for brown man yep. yeah so looking at brown this idea of brown as a bigger concept right because we kind of struggled my compas and i struggled with okay are we mestizo are we Chicano, are we Mexican-American Are you know, are we, we're we more than that, right? You know, the yep. commonality was, my compa Javi is from Mexico, immigrated, right? I was born here, I'm from, my parents are from Mexico. And then Ruben, kind of like you, you know, his parents were, you know, in Texas and, and, you know, he's a little bit more removed, but not really. His mom was first generation, so now he's second generation. So we're like this mix
1: mm-hmm. of
0: brownness and that's what this idea of, if we're gonna put one label to 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 pin us down, it's gonna be brown, brown men, right? And, and that's kind of where this idea of brownness and creating a podcast or a space about sharing our stories that hopefully we can inspire somebody to do something good, you know. And I think that's this is why it, it, it's it's a it's exciting to interview somebody like you, a fellow brown man who has similar similar experiences and you're doing some good shit. You're doing some good stuff. You're helping elevate the rasa, right? You're helping elevate the mestizoness of of who we are. And and obviously our audience is brown men. Right? You know, that's kind of our niche, so to speak. Um we'll be ridiculous, we'll sound ridiculous if we're trying to appeal to women or latinas chicanas. You know, it's it's not our thing, but we invite them, right? We're not going to right. discriminate against them. You know, we invite all brown people. Shit, we invite people from all backgrounds. But but the message and the experience really talks talks to being a brown man in our 40s, you know, our, and moving towards our 50s, and, and this is who we are. So I think when I saw Big Brown Dad, I was like, oh, okay, this is cool, man. This is somebody who has a similar message and a similar cause, you know, or at least the audience
1: right no yeah and that's why when i saw you guys use the term brown Mm -hmm. so my antenna's up so that's my advice is like one have your antenna up Mm -hmm. be on the lookout for people that you want to support Mm -hmm. and then go ahead and support them like one thing i did was like it's not only coffee you know what i'm saying it's like who if i'm gonna buy a beanie like is there a latino beanie maker is is there fucking like i'm just gonna i'm just doing that when i can i'm like okay i'm about to buy some t-shirts like is there someone in my network who sells them like start running that exercise you know who can i support who can i give opportunity to who can i hire like if someone comes to me for a project i'm looking to i need to hire somebody there are people that i'm looking to hire first you know what i'm saying um just do that kind of like we have to be intentional about trying to lift each other up and spending money on our you know with our within our community
0: that's true man and i think we'll go ahead and leave it at that it's like uh, be intentional, compass, in who you support and why you support them. You know, this is how we get uh, recognized. This is how we elevate ourselves. And uh, we just want to say thank you for listening. Be intentional, compass, Be intentional. Thank you, Carlos. We really appreciate your time here. And until next time, compas, stay brown and proud.
1: Yes, sir. If you like what you heard, Go ahead and subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review. It really means a lot and would really help out this podcast. We invite you to visit us at loscompaslaunch.com to share your ideas and suggest topics for future episodes. Until next time, compas, be proud and be brown.
0: That's right. Be safe. Until next time.